And we are looking at, I think this is part 10 if we're keeping accurate records. It's part 10 of Family Matters. All about the value of the family and how to, how to live biblically. And we started by saying that the worst thing that can happen to your family is for you to live selfish. Um, part one of this series talked about the, the most devastating thing that can happen to any family is for you to put you first. Um, any of us that live to ourselves, the cause, the root cause of all sin, all sin is that we put ourselves first. And uh, we did a thing at camp um, where we had the students uh, repeat a line over and over again. And some of you parents, I may need to apologize uh, to you because if you if your kids have gotten in trouble since they got home and you've asked them, why did you do that? They gave you a really good answer. Anybody remember the answer from the camp? Because I'm bad and for myself. That's why we do bad things because we're bad people and we do it for ourselves. And that's a biblical principle that's not been taught to our children, by the way. Most of your children have been raised on the opposite Cultural uh, teaching is that your kids are all good. Everybody's good. We're good. That's not biblically accurate at all. We're bad, and we live for ourselves. And that destroys relationships and families, by the way. So today we're going to just do a, um, a quick study in Colossians chapter 3, talking about what it means to have... Really, I want you to understand what it means to have an amazing family. There's two secret ingredients to that. First, let me just give you a quick review. If you look in Colossians chapter 3, which I told you is the how-to manual, this is the how-to-live-your-faith-out manual, and Paul's actually saying, all right, here's, here's the basic steps to living out your faith. When you get to chapter uh, 3, verse 18 and following, he's going to talk about family relationships, but before he talks about the family relationships, he goes back and says, here's the biblical steps principles to live your family uh, to, to live a healthy spiritual life and he says first of all you have to focus on the future set your affections on things above not on things of this earth we talked in detail about that several weeks in a row and then he said secondly in verse five through eight five through eight and a half or nine he says you need to have a funeral for your old self do not let your old self and the ways of your sinful days how we used to be don't let those rule your life and then he actually goes on to say, you need to actually put on your new life. And we talked about what it means to be new in Christ and that we are new creatures and we are to live to that newness. We're to live out the values that he gets to, by the time he gets to verse 12, if you're in Colossians chapter 3 now, I hope you are, Colossians chapter 3, he says we're to put on a heart of compassion and kindness, all those things. Then when he gets to verse 14, he goes beyond all these things. Here's the priorities that we talked about last. Beyond all these things, here's your priorities. He says, put on uh, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. P let the peace of Christ, put on peace of Christ. And then he talks about put, the, put on the word of Christ. Let it richly dwell within you. And he talks about putting on thanksgiving. Um, and whatever you do, all your priorities are for the Lord. So so we went through this and said, here, here's how you walk with Christ. You don't worry about your current culture and circumstances, you literally say, I'm seated in Christ in the heavenlies and my future home is there. I need to live towards those values. Matthew, Jesus says, um, you need to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And we tend to work very hard on our earthly stuff and not about our heavenly. How many of you remember the giant rope that I had one year for Vision Sunday? Remember the giant rope? I had this, this rope that literally wrapped 
it came off the altar and went down an aisle and back up an aisle and back around and back out the back door. And I told you to imagine it just to be eternal, like it never ends. Like it goes off our planet and completely into another universe and into other solar systems and other universes and galaxies that it extends forever. And I colored the end of it, one little part of it, I colored in, in uh, I think, black or red. And was it red? Yeah, some of you still have your little keychain things that we did. But the whole point was, this is your earthly life. This is your eternal life. We tend to spend tons of our effort trying to make this comfortable when God says all your time period needs to be spent making this eternity comfortable. Let's live for eternal values and then this will work out just fine. So we're going to see how that works today because we're going to look at some of the most pointed and simple verses in the Bible, Colossians chapter 3. Now, you understand he's just come off verse 17, where he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks uh, through him to God the Father. If you don't even take a breath, here's his next words. Wives, okay? He picked you all first, not because you're bad, but because you just, yeah, because you're bad and because you're, you're in it for the money now because you're bad. He, he picks wives first and he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives, do not be embittered against them, and children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I'm just going to try to live through verse 18 and 19 with you today um, because they're the two biggest secrets of the whole Scriptures, and I'm going to give you some information you may not have thought through in the terms of what's here. So, so let's, let's just begin with, um, and by the way, I read some commentaries, uh, this last week, um, that actually said, uh, Paul picks women, um, because he's not, he, he doesn't like women. And, uh, so he picks on them first. And I would go, y'all are idiots. That's, it's actually God writing it. And, uh, God honors women. Many of you have heard me teach on the value of women. Uh, from the Old Testament, we got, we, if you look in, um, uh, Genesis chapter three, where the fall happens, and, and if you understand what God actually says about the created woman and who she is for Adam, that she's everything he needs because he wasn't okay by himself, God has huge value in women. So there's no way Paul picked wives first. Um, simply because he has some negative against them. It's actually a very simple practice where Paul just blurted out in his writing, oh, let me explain this. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, here's an interesting a couple of things. When he says, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, that's a very simple grammatical sentence. And Paul is a complex sentence writer very often. Okay, He, he writes some some of the stuff in the... Epistles that he wrote grammatically, scholars today still can't figure out where commas and periods and colons and all that go. I mean, even in the original Greek, it's a very compound, complex sentence. This, he got straight to the point, okay? So it makes it simple to say, just submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. All right, let me just qualify a couple things. Please don't kill the messenger today, okay? Ladies, do not kill the messenger because... This is going to get very personal with you. Um, no particular reason that he started with you, but here's what he says, and it's a command. Okay, I want you to, you're taking notes today. I want you to understand submission of wives to husbands is a biblical command. It's God speaking to 
all of the wives in all of the world saying this is the right thing to do. Now the term means to submit in a military fashion. And it, it has, it's, it's actually a, a military term that Paul uses um, for one person to come underneath the leadership and the authority of another person. Okay, now I know some of our guys have served in the military, so if you've served in the military before, raise your hand. If you've served in any branch, okay. And, and all my military guys, we all just stand up for a minute, okay? All the guys that served in the military, okay? Let's give them a hand. Appreciate your service. Y'all stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Very important question for you, okay? Very important. In all your years of serving in the military, okay, the people that you had to submit to because they had this thing on their collar, right, that had one more bar than yours, right? They had other ranks that were higher than yours. When you had to submit to them, were they always smarter than you? No. Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. Because it never works out that way, does it? Y'all be seated. You know, just because a guy's got a higher rank doesn't mean they're smarter. And the world, the world we live in, the culture we live in, ladies, has taken God's Word and twisted our brains to say, well, God demeans women. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. So I'm going to take you through a whole bunch of stuff to help you understand. God literally was arranging leadership and rank so that there could be a functional leadership style in families and in churches and in communities. That's what he does. Because he knew people could not get along if there wasn't a flow of leadership. You know what the military figured out a long time ago? Got to have a flow of leadership. Got to have a guy in charge. Got to have guys that work for him that work with the other guys. Got to have guys down here. And then ultimately there's the guys that are digging the ditches and making the trenches and building the fences and, you know, all the baseline guys. And there's a flow that works. And you know what the military figured out? When that flow doesn't work, people die. People literally die. And we never accomplish our purposes when that flow doesn't work. Does anybody understand that? Shake your head because that's a very important principle, ladies. When God says for you to submit... It's a principle that he's saying, I want your family to work. And for your family to work, there has to be this element of submission. It's, it's how things function together. So for women to submit to men has nothing to do with the fact that one person is smarter than another. Okay? I guess my wife has children's church today. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? I'll make her listen to the tape later. Um, but she has children's church today. But I will tell you this, when she graduated from college... She had all kinds of stuff hanging around her neck, okay? I mean, it was like, you know, honor society and, you know, straight A student and, you know, best of the top of the class, all that kind of stuff. She had all this stuff hanging around her neck, you know? And I graduated, you know, by the grace of God, the skin of my teeth, and thank you, Jesus. That's the way I got out, you know? I mean, it was just like, hey, we barely made it. Okay, and, and she didn't barely make it. I mean, she aced everything. She's brilliant intellectually. Okay, don't tell her I said that. It goes to her head. I'm kidding. But she is. She's a very, very smart person. Okay, so when God put me in charge of her, you know, you're going, that's really not the way to do this. But in truth, God is building a functional family leadership style that's meant to work. So just because you have to submit, ladies, doesn't mean that you're less intelligent than the person you're submitting to. Submission is also not agreeing with everything your husband thinks. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of knots to help you understand the 
the whole flow of this. It's not agreeing with everything your husband thinks. Doesn't mean you don't have, you don't get to think for yourself. That's the third one. Okay. Submission doesn't mean that you don't get to think for yourself. A lot of people have misunderstood this whole concept. Okay. A lot of ladies think, well, you know, you just have to submit whatever they say we have to do. You know, that's not biblical at all. Okay. Not biblical at all. Submission doesn't mean you don't think for yourself. The man who says, and I've had people in my office say this and actually had to address it with them. Um, I think for this family, and that's my responsibility, and I'm the one who does all the thinking. When I had a man say that in my office with his wife sitting, sitting right there, who was wrestling with the relationship, I looked at him and said, you're a very sick person biblically. You're, you have a distorted understanding of Scripture, and it makes you biblically sick, which means at some point there's going to be disease in your family. And by the way, that, that family never moved. And of course, that they weren't long in our church because they didn't think we agreed on a lot of things. But that family to this day has extremely rebellious children. Extremely rebellious children. Now, I wonder where that came from. It came from a husband who didn't understand his role and who didn't under, didn't value the, the wife um, and, and all that. So submission doesn't mean you don't think for yourselves, ladies. Submission doesn't mean that you don't try to influence or guide your husband. I did not use the word nag. Please make a note of that. Influence or guide. Because those get fuzzy sometimes. But the Bible actually teaches that women have the role of being an influence and a guide in a husband's life. It starts in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And when God created Adam in the garden, he said it is not good for this goofy guy, my words, goofy guy to be by himself. The earth was perfect. Think. I want you to think through the garden for a minute, okay? The earth was perfect. The garden of Eden was perfect. The atmosphere was perfect. There were no thorns and thistles. It was like Adam couldn't hurt himself if he tried. He could not hurt himself if he tried. You know what I'm saying? It was perfect. And when God put him there by himself, he went, no, he's not going to make it by himself. <laughs> In a perfect world, guys, we're still going to mess something up. Okay? I don't even know how that works. You know, we're just going to throw ourselves off a cliff, you know, because we went, hey, that looks fun. I'm just saying, how, what was Adam going to do in a perfect world where there was no thorns and thistles, there's no death, tigers don't eat people back then, there, you know, that none of that was dangerous. So what was the problem? That he wasn't okay inside by himself. He wasn't going to be okay alone. So God had to create a helper for him. And the helper, Eve, literally fulfilled all that Adam ever wanted, right? So Adam's not good by himself. And guys, we figured that out a long time ago. Ladies, just so you clearly understand that, doesn't mean you don't try to influence and help. You are created in Genesis chapter 3, you're created to be the helper. First Peter 3, our passage here, is actually where a, a believing wife is married to a non-believing husband. What a bizarre thing that ends up being non-believing husband, believing wife, and she actually begins to influence him for the sake of the gospel without even a word, without even a word, in her lifestyle, in her behavior, literally in her submission to him, she can influence him for the gospel. That's very powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. 
So, wives have to submit. Submission doesn't mean you don't try to influence. Submission doesn't mean you put the will of your husband before the declared will of Christ. If a husband, believer or non-believer, asks you to do something that is sinful, to live in blatant sin, maybe maybe to scam somebody that's a friend or a neighbor in a business or something, or maybe there's some perversion in him that he wants to do something sinful. Christ is her Lord. Christ is her Lord. And she has to submit to Him first and tell her husband, I can't serve you and him in this. I want to submit to you, but I can't. So there's no biblical submission to sinful behavior required of godly women. Submission is not an act of fear. This is probably the most important thing I want you to hear. It's not an act of fear at all. Submission is not an act of fear or weakness. It's an act of faith and strength. I believe with all my heart in Genesis chapter 3, that's why God called women to do it. Because He knew you could have more faith and more strength than the man. And I believe with all my heart, God intended for you to model the faith and strength necessary for society to work right, to be, to be modeled by womankind in submission to their husbands who are often idiots. Okay? I believe with all my heart that's how God intended that. It's not an act of fear and weakness. And our culture, ladies, our culture teaches you that when you submit, you're just living in fear. No, you're not. You're living in faith. There's a huge difference. Okay, so if some of your uh, friends that you know don't necessarily follow biblical teachings get on to you about your submission to your husband when you say, "Hey, I can't do that till I ask," I need to check on that. When when your when your friends get on to you and say, "I'm not living in fear; I'm living in faith. I believe God has a huge plan, and when I get in His plan, things go way better than when I go out from under His plan." So submission is an act of faith, and it's an act of strength. Anyone who's ever served in the military knows very clearly, Robbie, that um, the ranking officer is not always smarter. He just has a higher rank. But he also knows, okay, because all those guys that stood up know this, even when he's stupid, if we all submit to him, things will eventually work out and our purposes can be accomplished. If we rebel against him, we're going to have total chaos in the barracks and in our platoon and in our ranks and ultimately in our military, we're going to be completely ineffective. And there are methods for working through the system to deal with bad decisions that leadership makes. And God actually has that in the Scriptures as well. So here's what submission does mean. It means to follow the leadership of your husband. To follow his leadership. And when you follow his leadership, you're allowing him to be um, the, the, the head. You're allowing him to be the head of your home. You're to treat him as the head of the home. Acknowledge that he is the head of the home, ladies. You're to allow and not to usurp his authority. In other words, your father said this, or your husband says to you, here's what we're going to do. And you go, well, I know he said that, but I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to do it my way and try to get the same thing accomplished. That's usurping authority. It's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Um, so you're to treat him as the head of the home. Um, if you can't agree with your husband, oh, by the way, you should allow his headship to be understood and recognized by the children. This is a very important. You want your family to be happy? 
You want your family to be happy. Ladies, you need to teach your children that there's an order. There's God. There's our Father, our Heavenly Father. There's your earthly Father who's my husband and I'm submitted to Him. And y'all are submitted to us. There's a flow that has to happen for God to have an effective family. And when we teach our children that, you know what you've modeled for your children? Obedience, submission, authority. And you've actually put God in the highest place in your life. When a wife submits to her husband as unto the Lord, she is literally modeling that the Lord is worth submitting to. Okay? That happens every time. When a wife goes out from under the submission of the authority of her home and her husband, she is modeling to her children, she's modeling to her children that the ultimate authority God is not worth submitting to. Now, gentlemen, I just want to take a minute and flip that around and say when we live in unsubmission to any authority in our lives, whether it's our boss, whether it's our uh, community leaders, whether it's police or whatever it is, when we are God, when we live in non-submissive behavior to our authorities, we are modeling for our children the exact same problem, that there is no authority in my life and I can do what I want to do. Okay, When you do that to your children, you're teaching your children pure rebellion, absolute pure rebellion, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Boy, y'all look like you're nervous today. I'm sorry about that. Just reality of the text. If you can't agree, ladies, if you can't agree with your husband, you let your husband make the call. When, when there's conflict in the home over a big decision and you just can't come to a meeting place, you always submit to your husband and say, you do it your way. It's okay. I will follow you. That's biblical. It follows the principles of 1 Peter 3, of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 where we are. And it means God says, I got this. And it means you're saying, God, you got this because I don't agree with it at all. But I am going to agree with you in this. And we're going to do it your way. Um, I know those are tough, tough things. So you honor and affirm your husband and your husband's leadership and thereby, when you do, here's what you do. You show him respect. Now, if you write that word in that blank that I left for you there, I'd like you to circle that word. Because there's a fascinating bunch of studies that have been done in the last seven or eight years. Fascinating studies. And when a, when a wife lives in submission to her husband, even if she you know, influences and works through and disagrees and works through all that stuff, but ultimately submits... She ultimately is showing her husband respect. I just want you to guess what the psychologists and psychiatrists of the day who have nothing to do with Scripture, I want you to guess what they say the number one need of a man is. It's respect. You think God might have figured that out from the very beginning when he drew up the game plan and said, hey, man and woman, here's how it's going to work. Woman's going to submit to man because he needs respect. And when he gets respect, he lives differently. He lives differently. Isn't that crazy? They've done tons of research on that recently, by the way. And the number one need of any man, the number one need is to be respected. When a man doesn't feel respected in his home, the home is always in chaos. Always in chaos. And the man is wounded. And sometimes the man spiritually has to get his respect from God when his wife won't accomplish that for him or his children don't accomplish it. He has to get it from God and God has to kind of prop all that up. Do you understand? That's sort of like a healing process that God has to go through to protect the man because the man ultimately has to have one thing in his home. Respect. 
Okay, so gentlemen, if you're not getting it from your spouse, okay, then ultimately I'm asking you to turn to God and ask God to, to help you get that sense of respect because that's what makes us the men we're supposed to be. But ladies, you have a huge responsibility, huge responsibility to affirm your husband's leadership, to give him the role of leader. Okay, now I've had all kinds of different scenarios um, that I've worked through and talked through with families over the years. Um, I had a, a gentleman one time that was uh, mentally retarded on a minor end of the deal, married to a brilliant wife. She was a radiologist nurse, um, just brilliant in her field and eventually ended up getting a doctorate in something. Okay. And he barely got out of high school, you know, and went to work. Um, and he made, um, mops. For people. He worked at a factory that made mops, and his job was to, he made this, he, I went and watched him one time, and he had to weave all this stuff together to make the mop deal. And it was amazing what he could do, okay? But he's like, I can't be the leader in my home because she's so much smarter. I'm like, oh, yes, you can. But she has to surrender the leadership to you. And so I, I just had to help him understand that sometimes it's in a simple word. John Piper says it's one word that a husband needs to learn to say in order to be the leader and see if the wife will submit. And it's the word let's. Let's. Hey, let's have prayer time tonight before we go to bed. And I asked the guy in my office, I said, do you think you could have prayer time with your family before you go to bed? And he, he's a stutterer too. He had all kinds of problems. He goes, I, I, really, I, really, I really can't. I'm not good at praying. I said, I'm not asking you to even pray. All I want you to do is call prayer time. Call the family into the living room. Point to one of your kids. Point to your wife and say, hey, will you lead our family in prayer? That's all you got to say. You just led your family. There's leadership in that moment. When your family submits to that, ultimately the family is now falling into the flow of how God designed it, right? You don't have to be some scholar that's going to teach theology to your kids at night. You can literally just say, hey, let's have a Bible time tonight. Call the family in, and, and you know, he's a terrible reader, I mean, horrible reader. And so I said, all you have to do is call somebody else to read. You know, you find the verse you like during the day. While you're at work and you take your lunch break, find a verse you like. And then when you get home that night, you just ask somebody in your family, read that verse out loud. That's all you got to do. And let's pray. And that began a process in their home, by the way, of them having regular evening devotions. It was probably 10 years later, about 7 or 8 years ago in my lifetime, when I got a call from one of the children that said... Um, I don't know if you know this, but my dad started a Bible study in our home at night when I was a little bitty kid. And I was like, really? That's amazing. Wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> I said, no, that's great. And he, they said, no, we did it all the time. I mean, other than when somebody was sick or we had problems, we were all the time around our deal. And they said, now I'm a parent and I've figured out how to do it for us. I just wanted you to know that whatever you did to help him start that, it's moved to another generation of our family. I was like, wow. But it's just a family submitted to the will of God at that point. You understand how important that submission is and, and how that works. So honor and affirm. Um, now, give me a moment with the men, ladies, because the next verse is all about them. Give me a moment with the men, and then I'm going to give you some really good news, um, kind of a pass to the whole submission thing. Okay, I'm going to give you a pass in a few minutes because I don't want to leave here have anybody waiting in my office with, you know, any kind of weapons or anything like that. Okay, big Bibles and stuff. So, so gentlemen, you're the next part of this passage, and it's bullet point, just like the other one. Paul just goes, bing, bing, wives, submit, husbands, love. Okay, 
It's really what it is. It's just two simple commands. Short verses, punchy, right to the point. Husbands, you're to love your wives. Now, this is the command, gentlemen, the same as the Ephesians verse, uh, where Paul says to love your wives. I quoted it every, every wedding I've done. All of those have done weddings here. Um, you've stood here and I've quoted it to you. Some of you on the porches of churches in the neighborhood. I've done, it's that row right there. He likes to get married on a porch on the morning time. I don't know why. But I've, I've married them. I've done it at all the weddings that I've done. I've quoted this verse. Okay? Husbands are to love their wives, Ephesians says, as Christ loves the church. Now when Paul says it to the Colossians, by the way, most people believe Colossians and Ephesians were written the same day. Paul wrote both letters the same day. But the, the, when he says it to the Colossians, he just uses the word agape, which is really the whole sum of all God's love. He says, husbands, agape. Agape. That's what you're supposed to do towards your wife. The love of Christ, the love of God to a people that rejected him is the love you're to model to your spouse. Okay, so it's a magnificently strong call, and it is a command with the strong idea, the same verb tense and the strong idea that has, that's in Ephesians. Our love for our wives should be modeled after Christ's love for the church. So how does Christ love his church? Well, I just made up a few words. You called them out a few minutes ago, how Christ loves you personally, because the church, by the way, isn't the building, okay? He doesn't love our building. He probably likes our building, but he doesn't love our building. I assure you, he doesn't love this building, okay? But he loves the people of the church, and that's you. The church is the people. And Christ loves you deeply. So how does Christ love his church? Because that's how a husband is supposed to love the wife. And gentlemen, the harder you study the love of Christ for his church the better husband you become, the better lover you become in your home. So first of all, I just wrote the word passionately. He loves us enough to experience what the Bible calls, what theologians call the passion of Christ. Cody taught on this at camp, what the passion of Christ is. Okay, Jesus went through the rejection, the torture, the false accusations, the beatings, the mockery, the scourging, and crucifixion because he loves us and wants a relationship with us. I get husbands in my office all the time saying, I just can't take her attitude anymore. I'm like, really? That one attitude is going to just sell you down the road, isn't it? You know? I mean, you think Christ likes your attitude right now, buddy? No. Okay, I'm just telling you, Christ went through rejection of the people that he came to love. The people he came to love rejected him. They tortured him. Then they made up false accusations about him. Then they beat him and they mocked him, scourged him and crucified him. And then we as husbands go, oh, I just can't take that. She just talked. Oh, I just can't take all that talking. I'm like, really? Really? We're to love with this enduring level of passionate love, gentlemen. And you're just, you're to go into, a bunch of you have gone into that relationship just like that. So don't dare come to me to try to get back out. And I am not going to be kind to you unless you can help prove to me that you're willing to go down this path. Okay. How do you think Jesus feels about us when we, um, disobey him? Just, I just want you to qualify yourself for a minute. Uh, gentlemen, really ladies can do it as well. All week this past week, this whole week, I want you to think about all the, Wrong attitudes, the wrong thoughts that you had, the sinful behavior that was in your head may have been actually verbalized or lived out. Okay? But just the stuff that was in your head. 
Okay? And you know what? Jesus still loves you exactly like he did before any of that. He still loves you passionately and fully with all that junk toward him, with all that disobedience and sin toward him, because we're bad people. <laughs> we are bad people. And we are all about ourselves. And all the selfishness we've lived out this past week, he still loves you just as fully as he ever loved you. Okay? So you really need to find a way to... He never, never considers leaving his bride. People ask me all the time, what do you believe about divorce for Christians? I said, it's not in the Bible. Because our model in the Bible is that we're to be the bride of Christ and Christ is the husband. And I said, he never, he's never going to leave us. So we can say we're never going to leave our spouse, no matter how bad it gets. Rather, we need to find a way to minister grace and restore and wash. The Bible teaches men are to wash and regenerate the home so it can be healthy and have healthy relationship. Second word I used, big, bigger word. I spent a lot of, a lot of time working on this word. Propitiatory. I can actually say it today. Propitiatory. Okay. And it means Jesus loves us with sacrificial love. He is our propitiation. It means he was willing to sacrifice on our behalf. I'm going to just very quickly put this in terms for you. Before, before he left heaven, he was surrounded by billions and billions of angels who just declared his holiness to him and his righteousness. He had zero suffering or pain. He had zero scars before he left heaven. But in order for you and I to get into heaven, in order for you and I to have any relationship with Almighty God and not end up straight going straight to hell, in order for you to not go straight to hell, Jesus had to leave all of that. Be born as a baby, be raised in a, in a family in a very hot and desert area, okay? Work through growing up and all the growing pains that go with that. But ultimately, he becomes the Messiah and travels around his hometown and in the middle of his people, the Jews. But they don't love him. They mock him. They reject him. They torture him. And they kill him. He did all of that sacrificially for you and I to have a relationship with God. So, gentlemen, our call to our wives is to live sacrificial lives. I'm just going to ask you, how much have you sacrificed, husbands? How much have you sacrificed for your wife this month, this year? How much have you sacrificed? And I'm not talking about, just so you know, you know, well, I let her fish the front of the bass boat, you know, for a couple of hours, and I fish from the back, because the fish are always, you know, you catch better up front. That's not the sacrifice I'm talking about, Okay. I'm talking about genuinely sacrificing because sacrificial love is the love that we're commanded to love our wives with. Sacrificial love. All right, then I want to just add this word. It's permanent love. There's no time in the future. Man, I love this, this sentence. Just overwhelmed me when I wrote it down this week. If you're tweeting things out this week, you ought to tweet this one out. There is no time in the future that Jesus will not love his bride. You're his bride. That's crazy. There's no time in the future he will not love his bride. And you're his bride. If you know Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's no time in the future he's not going to love you completely, permanently. Isn't that cool? 
Then I wrote this word down. It's persistent love. He demonstrates his love often. He reminds us with songs. We sang a song today that says, your love is extravagant. Your friendship. He reminds us with songs, with Bible stories. with When friends talk to us, they remind us of his love. In sermons, in books, in poems, even when you get to hold little babies. I'm watching us all love on all the new little babies. When you love on those babies, you're just reminded of love. And God's love comes pouring out of that. Sunrises and sunsets, all of that help us see his love. 1 John 3, 1 John 3 verse 1 says, Behold, behold, and it literally is the, the Greek word means take a, examine closely how great a love the Father has for us. Closely look at the love of the Father. So gentlemen, when we obey that, we see that his love is passionate and propitiatory. It's permanent and it's very persistent. And then he loves us patiently, patiently. Jesus loves his bride through all our self-centered whining. All right, let's just real personal testimonies. We'll just do the guys for a minute, okay? Us men. I mean, you've had a real selfish, whiny time this last week where you're just pouting about yourself. Okay? Everybody look around. Okay, how many of you are lying now? Kidding. All right? But we do. We're just, we're just selfish and pouty at times, right? And he loves us patiently through every bit of that. You know, so I'm just giving you all warning, gentlemen, when you come to my office and want to tell me how, you know, your wife's just got a bad attitude, you know, think I've got to leave her because I've got a bad attitude. I'm going to beat you up with this. Okay, because that is not the path. He, God's love for us is permanent and it's, He's locked on sacrificially, passionately loving us. And that's how we're to love our spouses. So husbands, my tribe, my men, I challenge you to love your wives more. And when you've done it more, say, you know what, it's still not, it's still not up to the standard. The standard's His love for us. It's still not there. So I'm going to learn how to do it even more. I'm going to find ways to love more. I'm going to read a lot about grace. The ultimate description of Christ's love is the word grace. I'm going to read a lot about grace. I'll name, I'll give you a long list of great books about grace that will blow your ever-loving mind. And when you see that's how he loves me, then it's much easier to begin to love your wife, your children, everybody will taste that same unconditional, sacrificial, beautiful love that can happen. So read a lot about grace. Um, so that you can live unconditionally and sacrificially. Okay. So we've been instructed today, ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives, we've been instructed to submit, ladies, don't kill the messenger, to submit and to love. That's really all it is. Those are the two secrets to having a healthy home. Um, but here's the pass I promised. Okay. So here's the, the, the last thing I just want to clarify with you. Okay. <laughs> Kurt's, co Kurt's covering up her ears so she doesn't get a pass. That's awesome. Okay? Here's the pass. Okay? Especially to my millennials. Here's your pass. You don't have to do this. You don't. Okay? Nothing in God's Word, nothing in God's Word are you forced by God to do ever. Because He's a loving God. Okay? But He gives instructions that are extremely wise. So, ladies, you don't have to submit and men... You sure don't have to love your wives with Christ-like love. You can just make a little effort here and there. You know, make sure you remember anniversaries and birthdays, Valentines, and try to say the word about once a year, and you're good. 
Okay, you're good. Only no one's going to force you to do it. In fact, the world and your own sin nature is going to warn you against all this. If you if your flesh was tied up this morning a little bit strong it, when you walked in, you're sitting there resisting a bunch of this, going, "Man, I, that's not the kind of lie. I'm not. I know I didn't sign up for that. Nobody told me I was getting into all that, and none of nobody that got married under my watch can say that. By the way, but you know, you go. I, Nobody said it had to be forever. Like sacrificial? What are you talking about? Submission? That's crazy. Okay? But in our culture, submission is a very bad word. Again, the culture says it's radically stupid for women to submit. Our culture says that's a dangerous, dangerous place for you. Okay? Because it's a very bad place for you, according to our culture. Um, and they say that loving a person sacrificially and unconditionally... That's jeered in our society. They're like, hey, you're risking getting very deeply hurt. It's a foolish way to get your heart broken. That's what our culture says. And I'm telling you, the culture is dead wrong. Dead wrong. You want proof of it? Watch families that don't do this. Watch families that will not obey these principles, raise up their kids, and watch the disaster that happens. So you don't have to do it as long as you want your family to turn out like the world turns out kids. As long as you want your family to turn that way. If you want anxious, fear-based children, anxious, fear-based children, ladies, don't submit to your husbands, and men, by all means, don't live uh, with great love. By all means, don't submit to the authority structures. If you want sassy and rebellious children who will not listen, by all means, keep on living by the standards of the world with no submission, no sacrificial love. If you want arrogant, conceited children, think about our culture. My wife's a school teacher, by the way. If you want arrogant, conceited children who talk back to their authorities, to their parents, to their teachers, who will even talk back to police officers. I was in a setting the other day where some children were in trouble with a police officer and he was dressing them down very strongly and trying to get them to pull their pants up and when he got straight up on them, one of them said, you can't talk to me like that. And buddy, that policeman bowed up one good time, got right up on that boy and said, son, if you can't submit to me, I got people above me that you will. Their name, they have the name judge in front of them and they're in a court setting. You know, about that time he got real humble in front of the, in front of the police officer. But if you want children who are arrogant and conceited, who talk back to authority figures, by all means, ignore the two commands we talked about today. But if you want your family to actually be a beautiful picture of how God intended it from Genesis, if you want your family to be beautiful and grace-filled and really amazing to observe and watch, then here's the secret formula for relationships. It's submission of wives to husbands and loving husbands by the way, that same study that talks about what the man needs the most is respect says the woman needs one thing just to know she's loved because it creates security. That love creates security for her. And when she's secure, by the way, she submits better. It's safer to her, right? Now, it's crazy that our psychiatrists and psychologists have figured all this out. And from the very beginning of scriptures, God said, here's all you got to do. Simple bullet points. Wives submit, husbands love. When you put it in a structure like that, it makes a functioning family. 
It has nothing to do with who's smarter or who's better, who's who's more spiritual or not spiritual. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with God saying, here's the design. This is how the machine of the family is meant to work. And it, it works best this way. Don't tinker with it. Don't try to undo the authority figures or restructure them. You get in all kinds of trouble. So the next verse that we could have looked at, we're not going to today, says children obey your parents. You know why that one's third? Because now the parents are doing what they're supposed to do so the children can submit. When you find families who will not follow that textbook truth, okay? when you find families that don't follow that, you find children that have no idea how to submit. They've never learned submission We've, we've wrestled with the, a lot of our kids in our youth group, the inner city kids, and we keep using this word with them. I finally talked to our leadership teams and said, we keep using a word. I don't think they know what that word means. And the word was, you know, you just don't respect us. You're not showing us any respect. I'm like, they don't even have a clue what that, you know, it's very disrespectful. I'm like, they, they don't know. That's just a word in their heads because it's not modeled anywhere for them, Okay. Our society doesn't model that word anymore. So the families of, of the body of Christ, we set the new standard. We have to set the new standard. And I'm asking our ladies to learn to submit well and model it for your children. Children learn to obey when they see obedience. Children learn to submit when they see submission. Children learn to love, gentlemen, when they see love. My dad had a thousand flaws. I mean, I could list them, uh, you know, nine, 900 of them in about 15 minutes. My dad just wasn't a perfect guy. Great guy, not a perfect guy, okay? But I can guarantee you this. He loved Levada Givens, okay, Levada Maples. He loved her passionately. And if we did anything to un upset her, we knew of his love for her. Very quickly, he intervened in the middle of us upsetting her to stop that from happening. wasn't pretty most of the time when he intervened, by the way. But it all came down to this. He taught us that you love your wife. You love your wife. And I knew my dad, all his flaws, I knew how much he loved her. We all did. And he didn't say it very much. You know, that song came out years and years ago called When You Say Nothing at All. <laughs> One of my favorite love songs. When You Say Nothing at All. I'm like, that was my dad. Rarely ever said it, but man, it was crystal clear in our home how much he loved his wife. Now that love washed into the next generation. Okay? That's how it works. If there's no model of love, gentlemen, you can't expect your children to show love to you. If there's no model of submission then there's going to be no respect in the home. It's up to us to live this out. Submission is a secret ingredient that brings unbelievable results to your family, ladies. Unbelievable results. It's a secret ingredient. It's definitely a secret in our society. It's printed crystal clear in this book, by the way. But it's a secret ingredient to our society. They don't even believe it works. Sacrificial love, gentlemen, is the secret ingredient that brings unbelievable peace and security to your family. It's just up to us to live it. Amen? Let's bow our heads together.